Um, I'm going to need uh, a volunteer who's good with a flip chart pen. Who's good at kind of doodling, illustrating, that kind of thing? Anyone? I'm looking over here, um, not assuming that a teenager is good at graffiti necessarily, <laughs> but, uh, but there might be one. You never know. So just a little bit of, of warning. Uh, Joe finished off on what we call the day of Pentecost uh, last Sunday, um, and I'm going to pick up as we work verse by verse through Acts of the Apostles this year, um, and I'll pick up at verse... 14, the Holy Spirit, If just in case you missed last week, I haven't had a chance to catch up on, on SoundCloud and hear Joe's excellent word. Um, the Holy Spirit has just been poured out as Jesus had promised on the disciples. They're making a lot of noise. There's a crowd gathering in the city saying, what's going on? What does this mean? Some, however, think the disciples have drunk too much wine. Peter stands up, verse 14, with the 11 uh, the other disciples raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, I'm at verse 14, sorry if I didn't say that, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was written, uh, spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath, on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. And he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt 
generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to his number that day. Lord Jesus, you're with us this morning. This is not a normal Sunday. Lord, we don't ever want a normal Sunday. How can it be normal when there's the every moment possibility that you might just be working amongst us, doing incredible things? We open our hearts to you now. We're already open to you. You've already been speaking. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome in my heart. You're welcome in the hearts of my friends here right now. Those who know you, those who don't yet know you. Holy Spirit, come and do your work as we work through these verses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, what a, what a few verses there. Um, a week or so ago in a town called Erasmapolis, uh, about two hours out from Sao Paulo, Biro's church, those of you that know and love Biro, um, a couple of hours uh, before the evening, Biro said to me, will you preach the gospel tonight? We've got uh, a room full of uh, men and women and boys and girls, 95% of which don't know Jesus. Will you preach for them? I said, yeah, Biro, okay. And then I asked him, they're the, the, the kids and the families connected with their social action projects, their gym groups, their choirs, all that kind of stuff, and they're coming to do a show. It was amazing. Bureau said, would he preach? I said, yeah, do you want me to do it like we do in England? If we have a crowd like that where we'd say, let me just gently share a few reasons why we're wanting to serve the town in the way that we are. Bureau said, don't do it that way. Will you preach the gospel, please? So I said, yeah, okay. Uh, I said, Biro, do you, do you want me to do an appeal as well for people to respond? He said, he, he didn't say it, but he looked at me with that look that said, what other way is there of preaching the gospel? Um, and so that evening, with a couple of hours notice, I had the privilege of, of preaching to a packed room full of kids and adults and seeing around the room as I invited people, like Peter does here, to respond, uh, seeing men and women and children responding to Jesus, coming forward, being prayed for, receiving Christ getting baptised in the Holy Spirit. The gospel works, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's working right now. Um, what would you say if you were given a couple of hours' notice or if you're in the pub later on this afternoon um, or even in the pub this evening? It's your excuse for not coming tonight to the prayer meeting. <laughs> if you're with a friend tonight who says, come to the pub and tell me why you're a Christian, you're allowed to not come to the meeting tonight. What would you say in that moment? What, what would go into your gospel proclamation? What words would you use? Uh, so here's where we need someone who can write nicely. Is there someone here? I need a volunteer. Quickly, quickly. Quickly, quickly. Okay, there we have a volunteer. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you, Emmarie. Okay, so I just see what if, if you've got two minutes, let's just have a round of applause, please, for my lovely assistant. Well done. If you've got two minutes, what, what goes into your sharing of the gospel? Shout some things out to me. What would you mention? What do you leave out? Hope. Hope. Okay, there's a word. Thank you. In. You put that in. That's good. Sorry, what was that, Carlo? Yes. Carlo says forgiveness. Good word, Carlo. That's... Hello? Peace. Peace. Faith and the cross. Faith and the cross. That, that, that's pretty crucial. Who was that? Was that Martin? Who shouted the cross? Oh, Isabel. Thank you, Abel. Absolutely right. I was hoping someone would get to that one. <laughs> that's good. All these other things are very important, but the cross oh. is at the centre of it. Go on. Sorry, I'm talking oh. to... Love. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Let's just have a woo. Thank you very much. Yeah. And sorry, the love, specifically love, love's a very general, unconditional love. Love's a very general thing. Lots of people talk about love. They sing about the power of love. What kind of love are we talking about? Someone tell me. The love of Christ. What does the love of Christ look like? Yes. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... 
Christ died for us. That's what love looks like. That's great. Anything else that goes in? Repent. Who said that? Oh, good, good word, Ben. Ben Drew, top of the class. Repentance. Okay. Let's leave it there for now. That's good. Thank you. For, a round of applause again. Thank you very much. Well done. Um, actually, I had some blue tack somewhere. What did I do with my blue tack? I don't know what you did. I don't know what I did with my blue tack. What did I do with my blue tack? Nah. Never mind. We don't need it now. That's fine. Have a sit down. I'll do something with that. I might call you back later. So, if you've got a couple of minutes, these are the kinds of things you might want to talk about. And what, what we'll find as we work through Acts is that we'll hit a number of passages like we have today where somebody explains the gospel either to a small group or to a crowd of people. And we'll get the opportunity and we want to have the opportunity because we, I, you, we need to change We've got 100,000 plus people, including your neighbours, my neighbours, our friends, the people we're at school and at work with, most of whom don't know Jesus. And so we need to become more confident in learning to share the good news of Jesus with them. Um, here's our first example. Again, this is not about learning clever techniques. Um, it's not um, about that at all. It's about out of our love for Jesus, just being ready to share the things that are important. Remember when we lift up Jesus, the promise is he'll draw all men to himself. But I do believe as we go through these passages in the weeks and months ahead, there are some things we can learn. There is a confidence we can all grow in. Um, and we must become the kind of disciple that can operate in that way. Thank you, Joe. That's really good. Anne-Marie, can you just uh, blue-tack that up to the wall somewhere behind Joe's guitar while I'm... Uh, yeah, you can pull away at that. that. Thank you very much. Um, this morning, really, I guess it's an equipping sermon um, to help us grow in this way. But I do appreciate there may be some who are hearing the gospel explained as we read Peter's words for the first time today. If that's you here today, we're so glad you're here and hearing this message. Indeed, I'm aware there may be some in this room who have heard the gospel and think you've responded to it. But as you hear it said in these terms and some of the things that we've written on the, on the flip chart there, you realise I've not ever really fully responded to the gospel. Maybe there's not been repentance in your life or in my life. And thirdly, I recognise that I hope for many today there'll be a, a strengthening for us as disciples of Jesus who, full of the Holy Spirit, want to grow in confidence in sharing the gospel. So let's walk, work through the passage together, find some application, pray together, that kind of thing. I think there'll be some other passages later in Acts that will equip us similarly. Overall, did you notice that Peter uses a lot of scripture when he proclaims the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Now there's something quite unique about, uh, thank you very much, about the sermon and the group that Peter's preaching to uh, on this occasion. He's preaching to a crowd in Jerusalem. The verses Joe looked at last week tell us there are Jews gathered from around uh, the Roman world uh, and he's speaking therefore to people who already know uh, the scriptures um, and some of the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. And so Peter very confident, Peter is one of them, and out of what they know, yeah, he speaks very confidently from Joel 2, a prophetic word there uh, about the Spirit being poured out on all flesh in the last days. And from Psalm 16 about King David, particularly useful. He's trying to point uh, people of a Jewish faith to Jesus as the Messiah. Um, when, when I was sharing the gospel with unchurched Brazilians a week or so ago, I didn't speak from the prophet Joel, uh, nor did I go back to the Old Testament and speak about King David, um, when Carlo and I were out on the streets of Crawley earlier this week, I don't, I don't think we quoted any Old Testament prophecy. Not because there's anything wrong in that, 
um, but because we're trying to build bridges with the kind of people that we're meeting. And here in this occasion, Peter was meeting uh, with a crowd of Jews in the middle of a city. Perhaps if we met someone from a Jewish background or even a Muslim background, we may have used more of the Old Testament in our sharing of the gospel. So what Peter's trying to do here, if you follow this, is just find some shared building blocks of agreement with the people that he's sharing Jesus with in order to introduce them to him. He's trying to help them see his death, his resurrection, their sin, their need for a response to a people who would say already we're a people of faith. Already many of the crowd were devout in terms of their pursuit of God. Already many of the crowd Peter was speaking to already would say, I believe in God, I want to get right with God. They just haven't recognised that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been looking for. And we see in Peter's sermon here, if you can call it a sermon, um, uh, his proclamation of the gospel, you can see all the elements that we've identified. Let me pull this down so you, can, you over there can see them a little bit. There we go. All the kinds of things that you've just shouted out and you've done very well. Um, you get gold stars, each of you. We find in, in Peter's uh, proclamation um, an explanation of the gospel, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, the part that our sin played uh, in, his, in his death. What we have here in Acts 2 and in the other passages we'll look at is not some account that if we learn it word by word and, and then just press our gospel button when we find ourselves in a gospel situation, everything will work out just fine. That, that's not what this is about at all. Remember, it's not um, techniques. Uh, it's to equip us. Peter himself says in verse 40 at the end of the account, he, with many other words. This wasn't word for word what Peter said. He said many other things uh, as he uh, led people to Jesus. If you've been around church like I have for long enough, you'll have seen people led to faith in Jesus Christ through careful, well-reasoned explanations of the gospel. And you'll have seen people led to faith in Jesus Christ through very childlike, simple, apparently inadequate explanations of the gospel that bring faith alive in someone's heart. Both can work. And before we move on through the verses, don't forget the previous verses Joe looked at last week. Lest again, in spite of me saying it, we get caught up in technique or strategy. Um, we, we need the Holy Spirit's bold power. That, the, what we've read this week can't be separated from what happened. It wasn't the week before in, in, in their circumstances. The Holy Spirit fell upon them, as Jesus had promised, and they spilled out into the streets with this bold gospel proclamation. Um, for us to love people, to discern what the Father is doing, to be ready to share Jesus, we need a baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe that as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he'll give us the same boldness that he gave these first disciples. Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascended, we looked at that a few weeks ago, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. There's a boldness and a power that comes on us to be witnesses. Just thinking about it, I think there's probably three areas where... Um, where we find boldness coming by the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, let me do some writing now. Not that yours was inadequate in any way, um, but I want to move through. How do you spell bold? There, boldness. There we go. I should have had a helper. We need boldness when the Holy Spirit comes on us. It's a Holy Spirit work. I believe there are three areas where the boldness of the Holy Spirit can help us. Probably the first one is to, to, be, um, to be open. Uh, just to be open that I believe in, in Jesus. Um, I think the second area of faith, like Peter does here, is when people say, so what's going on? Or how come you're a follower of Jesus? You're ready to explain, as Peter 
did. So boldness to explain. That takes a, a work of the empowering Holy Spirit as well. And then I think thirdly, and we see is at the end of Peter's message, uh, another moment of boldness. And any preacher of the gospel knows this. Do I just preach the gospel well? Or do I say, now, Lord, with your courage burning in my heart and your fire in my belly, I'm going to invite people to respond. And so courage, boldness to invite a response. Um, to invite. There we go. I don't know if you can read that at the back. Uh, even if you can, read my writing. And for some of us, I think just, just step one, boldness, to be open is... Is a, is a huge step forward with the Holy Spirit's help. I remember years ago when I was working and we were church planting around Manchester and I was still working in my old job for the insurance company. I found that just trying to be deliberate um, on a Monday morning with my work colleagues where they said, did you have a good weekend? And rather than just saying, yeah, it was lovely, thanks, just deliberately, intentionally saying, yeah, I had a good time at church on Sunday and then kind of squeezed everything, hoping for the best. And finding that some people carried on chatting, some people looked at me like I'm a bit weird. What I found was that just that deliberate courage, you may not, some of you may think that's not much courage. For some of us, that's a big step, hey. Um, just to say, I went to church yesterday on a Monday morning. Just making people aware, hey, I follow Jesus. It can make a huge difference. Often leads to opportunities for step two boldness. I found just by saying on a Monday morning, yeah, I had a good time at church yesterday. Funnily enough, as I began being intentional in that, it was no surprise that, that over coffee and tea breaks and other times in the workplace, people began coming to me saying, hey, you pray about stuff, don't you? Can I just ask you about this or that? And you suddenly find that people, are, that people who are open uh, begin to invite you to give opportunities to explain what's going on. Boldness to explain things. It's another moment of courage we need from the Holy Spirit. I was teaching all our um, new ground uh, impact students on Monday. It's my privilege on their training block about uh, 20, 25, 18 to 20 somethings that are doing year teams in churches, new ground churches. And I was teaching uh, the, the day on revival and reformation history, uh, reformation and revival history, a beautiful day. Uh, in one of the breaks, I popped into the, uh, the loos over at the Jubilee Centre in East Grinstead. And I, I, was, I was humming to myself. I think I was humming Wesley's And Can It Be? I'd just been teaching on Charles Wesley for an hour. And uh, I was quite excited uh, in the gents, humming, and can it be? And a gentleman in his 60s, they run their center like us, a community center. So there's hundreds of people a week like us that come into the building to use their rooms. Guy came in, um, broke the cardinal rule by speaking to me at the urinals. And he turned to me and, and he said, uh, sorry, ladies, that's how it is in the gents. Um, inside track here. Uh, probably too much information as well. Um, and he said to me, what have you got to be so happy about? And now again, I've got a Holy Spirit boldness moment here, like Peter. I could just say, oh, it's a nice sunny day, spring's coming. Um, but I was just pumped up on the fire of John and Charles Wesley and uh, singing, and can it be, that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood. Died he for me who caused him pain, for me who him to death pursued. Um, I was humming that stuff in my head. And so I turned to him and said, it's funny you should ask me that. And just for two minutes in the lose, was able to say how happy I was to be able to uh, talk about the gospel and some amazing moves of God through history with a bunch of young people who are really passionate about this stuff. He was blown away. He thought young people weren't interested in church. I didn't lead him to Jesus in the urinals, but I was able to explain some aspects of the gospel. 
how about you and me? Can we live that way in Crawley, in your workplace, in mine, in your school? I think we can. Peter's in this category in verse 14, filled with the spirit of boldness. He stands up with the 11 and begins his explanation. No different to being in the gents or at the water cooler. Uh, It just happens that Peter has thousands in front of him in the middle of Jerusalem. It's the same moment where you swallow hard and you say, oh God, help me now. Holy Spirit, if you're not with me, I'm going to look stupid. But thank you for the promise that you are with me because you said you'll never leave me or forsake you, forsake me. And he says, here's my explanation. Here's the reason we're not drunk, as you suppose. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you look in verse 33, he's coming to his conclusion. He says again, it's the Spirit poured out that has produced that which you now see and hear. And this is definitely a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not Peter's own cleverness. He's not been studying hard the gospel for the last 40 days. He's been locked away in a room with the other disciples, a little bit afraid. Just 40 days before, he'd run away when Jesus was arrested. He was the champion at the front of the queue in denying Jesus. Many of us in this room today may well say, hey, I could never get up and share the gospel with my friends. I could never stand up in front of people. I couldn't even do what you did in the gents on Monday. If if that's true, it's okay to be honest about that. Let me tell you, because I'm in this story too, and so are you. If, If Peter can stand up, if Peter who denied Jesus, if Peter who ran away from his Lord and Saviour, if Peter who threw it all away in a moment that required courage and instead he ran for his life. If Peter can be that kind of disciple, friends, then so can you and I, but not in our own strength and not through our own careful study, though study is good, but through the filling of the promised Holy Spirit. And that is what we need as we seek to impact cruelly and beyond. Verse, I, I think, I'd just like to hear an amen, please. I know that makes you nervous, but it's true for you as it's true for me, as it was true for Peter. From verse 16 through to about 21, we find Peter unpacking for his Jewish crowd this uh, amazing prophetic uh, word from Joel. I'm not going to work through that verse by verse now. Our primary application is how do we share this gospel? And remember, Peter's proclaiming to a people who already know something of the word of God, that the days of salvation are here now. He's telling them, you're not, you've been looking ahead for something to happen, for the Messiah to come. But the, Joel says, the Spirit's been poured out today and what you see now is part of God's plan of salvation. It's taken place in this Jesus. The way is open now, Peter's saying to them. It's not just open for the prophets and the kings and the mighty men of the Old Testament. But, but as Joel has said, what's happening now is open for all people through Jesus. And so he finishes that section by saying, so this is the day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're calling on the name of Jesus today for the first time, that promise is true for you today as well. Everyone who calls, Peter says, everyone, each one of them. Soon we see in the Acts story, we'll come there in a few weeks, that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the gospel spreads out and begins to impact them uh, as well. Um, Everyone, at the end of this passage, Peter says to them, all of you, This promise is for you, your children, all who are far off, even us, all those whom the Lord our God will call, those he could never have imagined as he was preaching this first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Paul says, Peter says, everyone, us in the UK, our friends in Brazil, people in the furthest reaches of China this morning, the Russian-speaking world that we pray for here at Crawley through Valentina's ministry, Pakistan, the Islamic world, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Peter's saying here. Later on, Paul declares by the Holy Spirit to the Corinthian church, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. That's what Peter's opening up here 
by the Spirit. Hey friends, you or I may not quote Old Testament prophecy in the way we share the gospel, but we can live with that urgency and that expectation that the kingdom of heaven is wide open today. And Jesus is still saying today, if you believe me and if you call on my name, I will save you. It's an incredible and very simple truth that we can all share. Verse 23 is huge. Oh, I could get distracted by this. I will just for a moment. Um, this man, Jesus, he says, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Perhaps it's just worth touching with regard to our worship this morning. God's plan, God's foreknowledge, um, God's sovereignty, that would be the theological word people use. Uh, he says here, God's set purpose. So this is all God's doing, Peter's saying. It wasn't out of control after all, us disciples on the road to Emmaus, where we thought, oh, everything we'd hoped for has died and fell. No, no, apparently God was behind it all after all, working out his plans and schemes because of the greatness of the gospel. Okay, that's good, God's sovereignty. But then he says, oh, but you, with the help of wicked men, you, those wicked Romans, and, and you, wicked men and women, you put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. I, I think in this verse 23 of Acts chapter 2, we see the greatest display of that paradox um, or that tension, to use a Joe Stevens word, of, uh, of divine sovereignty and human free will at the point where they meet closest. You'll find some uh, preachers and theologians are so strongly on the sovereignty of God and some are so strongly on the free will of man. I think the Bible seems to manage to hold it all together. Um, and therefore so must we. Yes, absolutely, the set plan and the foreknowledge of God. Yes, absolutely, it was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. I've been so aware of that this week. My sin, my shame, all the hidden things in my heart that are responsible for the death of Jesus, and yet God's plan. So, friends, we can praise him for his plan. We can thank God for his plan out of his deep love to save lost people like you and me, but then also we recognise with horror, oh, it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. Verse 24 to 32, we get the next section through. Uh, I love this. I've just come to a point where I realise, oh, it's my sin. I, I nailed Jesus to the cross. And then Peter says, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 24, but God. Uh, it's, it's like the but God that Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great revival preacher, uh, used to get excited about at uh, Westminster Chapel. But God, um, Ephesians 2, uh, while we were still dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, made alive with him, uh, raised with Christ. Here's another but God moment. But God raised Jesus. So I'm hearing the gospel today. I'm recognising it's not just my part in the death of Jesus. We've identified that key element, the resurrection of Jesus. As I think it was Bill that shouted out, is so important. I don't think we can preach the gospel without mentioning the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, you and I were responsible for putting Jesus to death through our sin. But in this remarkable salvation plan of God, God himself raised Jesus from the dead. And Peter says, because of this plan, because of who Jesus is, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus was freed by the power of God. The, the, the strange phrase that's used in the translation of the Bible means to be loosed from cords that tie you. Peter says, by the Spirit's illumination, it was impossible for sin and death to hold him captive. Okay, Actually, in the natural, 
it, it is possible. In fact, it's not possible. That's how it works. You die, sin holds you captive. You don't come out of death again. No one comes out of death. Jesus came out of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. Um, okay, I need three of you, please. Now, Ed, come help me. Come help me. Uh, Barbara, come help me. Come help me, come help me. Come help me. Quick round of applause, please. Um, Ed, are you happy being uh, sin and death? Sure. Okay. Okay, I need you to hold out your hands. Okay. What we find is that we too now are in Jesus. And so this is why the resurrection is such good news and why we have to, to mention it. Not only has Jesus been freed from the cords of death, um, but if we're in Jesus, we've died with him in our sin. So hold out your hands here. Um, can, you just, can you just tie her up, please, gently? Uh, or just wrap it around if you want. We can pretend. For the purposes of the illustration, it's a really tight knot. That's nice. Go on, do a bit more. Make it a bit, bit worse. Okay, she's totally bound up in sin and death. But we have one in Jesus Christ for whom death was not able to hold him. And so he's broken out by the power of God. If we've died with Jesus, we've also been raised with Christ. We have hope of a new life. Barbara, can you be Jesus? Can you just untie her to a round of applause? Thank you. Well done. And you can just celebrate that. Thank you very much. You can go sit down with your rope. Um, this is why the resurrection is such good news. We've been raised with Christ. If, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. These cords which tie us all so tight outside of Christ, uh, tie us to our old life, all our old agonies, all our old addictions, all our sin and our shame. They've been completely broken by the resurrection power of Jesus. I was reading this morning the old story of Samson in Judges, tied by the thick new ropes of the Philistines. It says he broke them apart like they were threads. That's exactly what happened when Jesus broke the cords of death and breaks them over our life. It's impossible, friends, for you or I to come into a new life in Jesus and still to be, have to be held by the authority of our old life. The hold has been broken by Jesus, the resurrection. It's good news indeed. This week in, in town, Carla and I were uh, talking and praying with an old friend of his who's struggling with all kinds of, of addictions. It was a beautiful moment to see Carla with real compassion, just saying to his friend, you need Jesus. Only Jesus can free you. Um, we're untied and broken free from the hold of sin and death. In order that we might cling and hold fast to another, Jesus Christ. Oh, verse 32, 33, uh, and we'll recap like Peter does and come to a conclusion because I'm getting carried away. Uh, he says, uh, uh, recapping, uh, Jesus has been raised to life by God. We are witnesses to the crowd of what you see and hear. Many of us, he says, these disciples who've got my back right now, they saw him too over the last 40 days. The scriptures show actually over 500 people saw Jesus after he'd been raised to life. Jesus had said that when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. Here we are now witnessing to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Again, just witnessing to your story, to what you've seen, to what Jesus has done in your life is one of the most powerful and simple things you can do. Again, meeting some of Carlo's friends who've come from his background. When they see Carlo, they recognise now, three years on, wow, there's been so much change in your life. There's no more, I could, I could preach a clever sermon at that point, but I don't need to. Why, why is that? They're looking at Carlo. They're looking at what his life witnesses to. In fact, they're looking at who his life witnesses to. 
And that's the, the addiction-breaking power of Jesus Christ. Friends, you may not have a story quite like that, but there, there's, nothing more, there's nothing more significant than your story and your witnessing to uh, and about Jesus Christ. Jesus has gone up to heaven. He's alive. He's gone to heaven, Peter says. He's exalted with the Father, verse 32, 33. From there, he's poured out the Spirit. You now see the effects of that. Peter's moving to a, he's moving to, to step three of boldness here with the Holy Spirit's help. He's either going to say, hey, so that's my nice talk for you this morning. If you want to find out more, uh, we're running a course pretty soon. Hey, I'm not knocking that. That's one way forward. But with the boldness of the Holy Spirit, he's ready now to upset or even outrage some of his hearers. So he finishes, not with a nice little conclusion, but boldly again by saying um, that you are responsible. Therefore, let all Jesus, uh, verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. If this was about salesmanship and clever techniques, you wouldn't finish your sermon in that way. <laughs> Get them on side, you're going for the big sell. No, no, he's, he's about to outrage them. He's going to be offensive and even blasphemous to a Jewish crowd. But of course, the Holy Spirit's at work. This is boldness from the Holy Spirit. And so Peter feels, I'm not just going to explain... But now here's an opportunity for me to invite people to respond. And he's aware the Holy Spirit's at work because in response to that outrageous claim about Jesus in verse 36, he recognises across the room, hey, people are cut to the heart and saying, what shall we do? What shall we do? It's a sign the Holy Spirit's at work. He always brings conviction of our sin. Again, we don't push someone through. We don't force someone through. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of sin and a need for Jesus to work. And here, face to face with the horror of their sin. Here, aware, no, I'm bound. I thought I was okay, but I'm bound. I was brought up in church. I thought, thought everything was all right. My parents' faith. No, no, I need Jesus. I've got to respond today. I've got a personal conviction of my sin. Jesus said in John 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll come to convict the world of guilt and sin. That's exactly what's happening here. One of the stories we shared on uh, Monday with the Impactors. Um, Impact's a great year, by the way. If you're coming up to end of A-levels, you're going to take a gap year before uni, come and do an Impact year. Um, serve Jesus, grow in some stuff. Uh, we were looking at Duncan Campbell and the Hebridean revival. I think the last genuine revival, um, true revival in the UK, uh, almost 70 years ago now, 1949, Duncan Campbell arrived on the Hebrides, on the Isle of Lewis, his first Sunday. Just listen to his account, and then we'll conclude and pray together. My first Sunday on the Hebrides. <laughs> the church was full. The Spirit of God was moving in such a way I couldn't preach. I just stood still and gazed on the wondrous moving of God. Men and women were crying out to God for mercy all over the church. It's an Acts 2 moment, isn't it? There's a conviction of sin. There was no appeal made whatsoever. After meeting for over three hours, I pronounced the benediction and told the people to go out. But I mentioned any who want to continue can return later. Nobody left. <laughs> <laughs> They said it felt as though God was hovering over the people. 600 had gathered in the churchyard to continue the service. And still inside the church, the Holy Spirit was moving with powerful conviction. So all over the place, people were falling to the ground. Outside, a busload of people arrived to the church. And as the door of the bus opened, the power of God fell upon them all, so no one could even get off the bus to enter the church. This is in the United Kingdom. For some of you, within your generation, within your lifetime. Men and women who've been stone cold towards God. Some of those in your life a few days earlier were now crying out to him for mercy. And people were being born again all over the place spontaneously. 
about four in the morning, same day, same meeting, a message comes to Duncan Campbell, says, can you go to the police station, please? Because the crowd's also gathered there, and they're weeping and wailing, and the police want someone who knows what to do with them to come <laughs> and help them. They're under conviction of sin. Campbell says this in his journal, on the way to the station, I saw a sight I never thought was possible, something I shall never forget. Under the starlit sky, men and women were kneeling everywhere on the roadside, outside their cottages, even behind the peat fuel stacks. People were crying out to God to have mercy on them. At the police station, people were being spontaneously born again. And over the next five weeks, Campbell had to begin conducting four services in different churches each night to cope with the revival and the hunger for God. 7 p.m., 10 p.m., midnight, and 3 a.m. Um, this, is, this is the UK. The Holy Spirit works as the gospel is preached. The Holy Spirit brings us a conviction. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to someone today. I'm still tied up and held in sin and death. What do I do to get right with God? Peter tells us here in verse 38, he replies, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. I'm here today to tell you, if you don't know Jesus, if we don't know Jesus, we need to repent. Um, we live in an age and a culture... Um, a, a Western culture here which does not want to be told to repent, does not want to be told you or I are sinners. We'll, we'll get some pushback on that. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge my life? In fact, increasingly, I guess, in days to come, court saying to someone you need to repent may even be termed hate speech by some people in our current culture. Hey, we're not into hate speech. I hope you see from the way Peter speaks and uh, and from the way we need to speak, with the, the deep love of Jesus. Someone mentioned about the love of Christ. We love people. We're always going to be loving and gentle and kind in our speech. There's no place for hate. But we love people enough to say, you need to get right with God. And your sin and mine put Jesus on the cross. And he calls you to repent, to turn from that, to get right with God. Repentance is simply turning around, turning away, a change of mind, a change of heart, turning towards God in humility and laying our lives down before him. Repent and believe. Believe in Jesus. You can believe in anything. People do. They don't know their right hand from their left in Crawley today. You could go out and survey a thousand and one different beliefs. The gospel is unique because Peter says, and we continue to proclaim, repent and turn and believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in this life, this death, this resurrection, in his, him alone to have the power and authority to free you and to bring you into a right relationship with God. Repentance and belief go together. Um, it's a letting go of everything else in order to take hold of the one thing, the one person, Jesus Christ. I believe. Again, if you're saying that today, and listen to me carefully now, Peter says, and it's true today, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent, believe, be baptised in water. That's what this is. It's an immediate step of obedience which identifies us now as belonging to God's people. When people get born again and follow Jesus, they get baptised in water. It means I'm part of God's new community. It's an outward sign that inwardly my heart has been through repentance and belief in Jesus. It's evidence of my trust in him. It's a symbol that I've died to my old life as I've gone down into the water, just as Jesus went down into the grave. I've been buried with Jesus uh, and now I'm going to leave my sin in the grave and I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God in Christ. And so as I come up out of the water and you do, then I'm raised with Christ and with his resurrection power and I'm free to live a new life. And I'm sure and certain of a resurrection that's to come. Repent, believe, be baptised 
in water. We're, we'd love to baptise some people next Sunday morning, um, and there may be some here that are responding to this message this morning. Finally, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, you can listen to Joe last week who covered that so well. There's no delay here. Verse 41 tells us, as we conclude, about 3,000 responded. Uh, that's, that's just men. That's how they counted things. So probably many, many more with men, women, teenagers, children. They didn't wait until they knew more. They didn't go on a course about baptism in water and baptism in the Spirit, though there can be much value in doing those things. But in New Testament terms, if you've repented, if you've believed in Jesus, then you're ready to be baptized in water and you're ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Last, uh, in, in Brazil on the Monday evening, I, one of the ladies I prayed for, Monica, just responded to the gospel for the first time. How wonderful to pray with her and see her baptized in the Holy Spirit and send her home, having come in and not yet believer in Jesus, go home following Jesus and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And why should it be any other way? How can you begin to follow Jesus in your own strength? How can we begin to be the kind of community that we'll read about next week, later on in Acts 2, unless we've received the power on the help of the Holy Spirit? The New Testament says, don't wait, don't delay. Repent, believe, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Joe, can you come and help us? I've been slightly longer, and please forgive me for that. Thank you for your grace. It's the same gospel for us to live by today, church. Same gospel for us to proclaim. Just everyone close your eyes for a moment. Just keep still. I know it's half past. Some of you are itching for tea and a biscuit. It's a very, very important moment. As I said, most people here today are believers in Christ, but there may be some as we said at the beginning, that either are not yet or have thought you were, but have heard the gospel explained today. You need to get right. I want to urge you, as Peter did, to get right with God today. If you're not yet in Christ, you're still held by your sin. But Jesus, who's been raised from the dead, will untie you. He will break you free. I'm just going to invite all of you to pray a simple prayer with me. Perhaps you can say it out loud. If you're a believer in Jesus, you can say this out loud. And if you're ready to say, I need to follow Jesus, just repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Just take a few moments, there may be something specific that you need to ask forgiveness for. Okay, back with me. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me and you were raised to life so that I can be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.